0: Football is around the corner and we are ramping it up over here on the ringer NFL feed in the month of August.
1: Every week, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you not one, but two extra point takings. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict debate and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday.
0: But that is not all. Stephen Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL and who knows, maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it.
1: Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, at Ringer NFL.
2: This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
3: This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis
0: crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels
3: from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah! A toast to breakfast.
2: Welcome. To the ring of wrestling show heels recap season two episode six appearances ben and i are going to talk a little bit and then ben has an interview with the episodes director pete siegel after we talk so stick around for that ben how you doing today
3: well i sound like this which is not ideal i'm uh, still dealing with some voice issues this hoarseness is not because i'm still choked up from the end of this heels episode although that's not to say that i'm not
2: No, no, no. you're missing the pro wrestling part here. You should just scream through it. (laughs) Channel the hoarseness. Eventually, your voice will just get stuck like that.
3: Yeah. And you can make millions of dollars. The condemned voice going for sure today. (laughs) Or just the general Jack promo voice in every conversation.
2: Ben, we have uh, a couple of times this season talked. I had a little little, uh, uh, rubric called The Card. Right? A a, a a subhead in the rest in the in the show layout. The card is how we rank all of the characters in terms of being main eventers, mid carders or jobbers. I just bring that up to say the ghost of Tom Spade has made a roaring comeback on the card for one <laughs> night only. We had Tom Spade in the main event. Two different versions of him. This was a crazy episode of the show. It was mm-hmm. like what? Uh Two-thirds flashback, and there were two different time periods of flashback. Yep. Um, A lot of different actors, and incredibly, incredibly just like heart-wrenching in many different ways, uh, sort of like parallel lives, you know, thing going on between Duffy wrestling back in the... What would that be? Like the 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 nineties?
3: Yeah, mid nineties, because uh, we got wall to wall OJ coverage. So I guess. Oh, right, was OJ was the big ninety-five. The
2: anger, yeah, and 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 today, uh, in both cases, uh, Duffy looking being looked at by the big leagues trying to snap him up. In mm-hmm. the past, it was Tom King Spade, Jack and Ace's dad. Now it's obviously Jack and Ace uh, talking to Continuum and Brooks Rizzo. And then, you know, it goes all the way through till the end. I mean, there's no reason to to tiptoe around this. How that how Duffy's continual financial troubles and the relationship between Wild Bill and Tom Spade led directly to Tom's suicide, which is the sort of, you know, launching point of this entire show. This was an incredibly important episode sort of for the lore yeah. of Heels. Uh, As our producer Jesse was saying before we came on the air, it makes you want to start back over with season one, episode one and rewatch it and see how much of what we thought to be true Mm -hmm. was true, because it certainly paints, well, more, I I think more so than anyone else, Wild Bill, but also Willie and Tom Spade in totally new lights. Um, And I mean, just makes us have to reevaluate what we think about them all. What was your... What was your takeaway from this
3: episode? Maybe the most emotionally affecting episode of the series so far for me. I was impressed Mm -hmm. by just how ambitious the format was with these parallel timelines and some intersecting, overlapping events. And just in terms of how it was constructed, Last week, we talked about how there was more in-ring action than there typically is. We were essentially spectators at the crossover FWD-DWL show for the last 10 to 15 minutes of that episode. This week, no in-ring action whatsoever, and yet it felt like a climax of sorts, even though it was a flashback. It was multiple flashbacks, and we've seen... Tom's actual suicide in a flashback, and we've seen the immediate aftermath of his suicide in a different flashback. But this one, where Mm -hmm. we don't actually see that moment, hit harder for me than actually seeing it and seeing the immediate reactions by the people who happened across his body did. This really got me, and I think it also, as you said, changed our understanding of why that happened and the parts that various people played in that death, because when we had the flashback to start the season, I think that was revealing and enlightening in some ways, but a lot of that could have been inferred. Whereas with this episode, the secret Bill-Tom Spade ongoing relationship that not even Tom's family knows about, we weren't privy to that either. And now that we are, changes everything, really. Uh, Now we know exactly what went into that, and we have to think of Bill a bit differently too. It's true, you mentioned the, the kind of
2: off-screen retelling of, of uh, Jack's, I mean, Tom's end in this episode, and I think you're right. It was, it was definitely more effective, or affecting. You know, when, when it's happened before, to, see, to literally see the body, I, mean, I think that puts you in the, it helps you relate to what Jack and Ace went through at the time, to see them juxtaposed with their father's mm-hmm. dead body. But, you know, it's funny, there's a thing going on in the pro wrestling world right now kind of a continuing story where there's the a couple been a couple of backstage fights in AEW that have become <laughs> right. all that anybody really talks about when they Involving talk about Ricky a Rabies punk, right one of the, <laughs> yeah Ricky <laughs> yeah. R- Ricky Rabies who had one line i believe in this episode but not his head Freedom. through yeah. uh one of the pivotal scenes but you know we kind of joke around like the most exciting matches happen off screen right they happen backstage with nobody wa- you know we were none of the fans can see it But there is a real, like, narrative component to this because your mind, like, can't answer the question that it asks itself, right? Like, you don't have the closure that a pro wrestling match does when you don't see it. And I think there is something really evocative and more powerful about experiencing Tom's death in the way that Wild Bill, in this case, experienced it, which is, wait a second, I just saw him talking about. You know, And and you don't get the closure. You don't get the reality. You don't get the gruesome, you know, reality of seeing mm-hmm. his body uh and it, i thought that was pretty incredible uh before we get too deep into this thing i just want to hit a just the the broad strokes of what's going on in the show the spade brothers are meeting with brooks rizzo of continuum about potentially signing up uh where and in as we've said before in the in the in the flashback in the 90s thomas spade is going to meet ted <laughs> yes. turner uh you know owner <laughs> of uh cnn and turner broadcasting whatever else and wcw wrestling about them acquiring uh duffy rust you know the dwl or potentially just members you know him and wild bill and then later we find out it's just him that they're interested in and none of that comes through meanwhile i think there's only is there only one meanwhile i guess there's two meanwhiles in this show meanwhile charlie gully calls up willie and says i want to hire i want Mm -hmm. crystal for real he that's the the Everybody, all the engagement numbers are, right. are with Crystal. So he wants to not just hire her in the storyline. He wants to bring her on full time and then bring Willie on um, in a... Uh, the kind of backstage role, kind of give her a,
3: a, a promotion right, which we too. speculated about and last I guess, week, right? Whether that briefcase full of money that Crystal was presented with would become a real briefcase full of money at some point. I'm impressed that FWD yeah. even has engagement data. I'm sure that that the DWL does not have engagement, uh, monitoring well, minute by minute engagement with uh, their wrestlers to see who pops, but... Women's wrestling, uh,
2: I might have mentioned this in the show before, because more pertinent to previous things, but but inner inner gender matches in particular have a lot get a, a mm-hmm. lot of engagement mm-hmm. online, like uh, an irrational amount of engagement. Well, maybe not irrational, maybe a
3: surprising for some
2: of us amount of engagement online. I think those are numbers you probably yeah. couldn't ignore. I
3: just don't. But I don't think they have the um, budget to commission <laughs> a report on engagement, probably. But but yes,
2: yeah. And I guess the only other sort of meanwhile is that Wild Bill um, has a sort of master class mm-hmm. where he engages all the gets all the all of the the DWL wrestlers uh and and gives them a pep talk about what they can do to make the company better leading to the aforementioned freedom <laughs> from from Ricky Rabies I just want to get that stuff out there because I don't know if we'll be back I do think it's important I guess the master class thing is it, we we can take a minute and talk about that because this is Wild Bill's moment I mean this is Wild Bill's call Mm -hmm. to action. You know, freedom wasn't the wrong thing to yell at the end of it. He has this incredible monologue about how wrestling as an art form is probably reaching its end. He compares it to all these other art forms. Commedia (laughs) dell'arte. I I want to know much
3: more about Bill's educational background. (laughs) He seems to be very well-read. He has a large vocabulary. Did he take some kind of course uh, did he go to school did he get a graduate degree how exactly does he acquire all of this mm-hmm. knowledge i would love to know
2: i don't know this would be you know his speech would have been a great <laughs> essay on the ringer.com yeah. but basically he says there's only only so much time left and you know ends by saying well, all art forms last a generation wrestling's at the end and then what promise can we make to ourselves that will make this kind of last act worth it
4: entitlement is a sin Hard work pays off, it's one of the biggest lies in life. Hard work is just hard work. Will it pay off? Shit, flip a coin. This business is littered with folks who worked their ass off, got jack shit to show for it. We better be asking, how can we be exceptional? I am looking for keepers of the flame here, folks. Come up with something great and go back through history. Elizabethan drama, commedia dell'arte. The average storytelling mode lasts a generation before it becomes too familiar, too trite. The vessel no longer serves as a conduit for a vital and heartbreaking narrative on which the human soul thrives. It becomes dismissible. That is where we are with wrestling. At the tail fucking end. About to become dismissible, a useless vessel. Let me state again. No one is asking us to wrestle. Our risk of life and limb is our choice. So what promise will we make to ourselves to make it worth it?
2: Ben, do you want to relate this scene to what we learn about Wild Bill in the rest of the
3: episode? Yeah, I mean, we really see him at his high and, and at his low here, right? I'm I'm skipping a little bit ahead when we get to our awards, but... Bill. No, do it. This episode is just so tied up, tangled up yeah. that like we
2: can't avoid things.
3: Yeah. This is, I mean, it's just a Bill showcase for me, right? I mean, mm-hmm. specifically, I guess, a Chris Bauer showcase, but really multiple versions and ages of of Bill. He gets the Braveheart speech. It's the best of times and the worst of times. We we see him low at the end. We see him feeling taken advantage of feeling bitter still being haunted by being betrayed by willie and in, in his mind at least by his friend tom i mean he's he's still hanging on to all of this he hasn't let this go yeah
2: and he's still and, and that conversation he has with willie in the present i almost mm-hmm. forgot about that yeah it was an incredibly powerful interaction too yeah, yeah i mean the the sort of the crux of this and i'm sure everyone has, who's listening to this has seen this show but the cr- One of the big the big reveal in this episode or one of the many is that after Tom goes to meet Ted Turner, Ted Turner can't make the meeting. Okay, whatever. Goes back again to make to a follow up meeting. But this time he's going and saying they've told me that they only want to hire me. They don't want to hire Bill. And so, of course, they don't want to hire his valet, Willie. Willie is the is the valet in the in the past. And he goes up and then Ted Turner doesn't want to meet him again. And so he's just like, forget this. I'm out of here. We'll call WWF. We'll, we'll do this on our own. We're just, I'm not going to deal with this. So he betrays Bill by basically like not, well, first of all, by going and signing, being willing to sign without him. But second of all, by flubbing the whole opportunity uh, because of his pride. Then he says out of anger after, this, after, his, after a conversation with Bill, like, Willie's my valet now. And Willie was like, yeah, and Willie goes along with it. So they both sort of like turn on Wild Bill. And I think we're, you know, that's what leads him to going out on his own, to signing with WWF and and disappearing um, from Duffy for a long
3: time. Yeah, my read on that was that it was Willie's idea to jump ship to change horses because we see her just for a second. We don't actually see her ask, but. When he's leaving for the meeting, Tom, that is, we see young Willie say, Tom, wait, right? And then there's sort of this pregnant pause, and then there's a a scene change. We don't see what she actually asked, but I thought the implication was that she was the instigator of wanting to change from from Mm -hmm. Bill to Tom because she thought, oh, wow, Ted Turner wants Tom, right? This is the guy who's going all the way, so I need to hitch my horse to him instead, even though she's in a relationship with Bill, right? And I think there's still lingering bitterness and guilt about that, obviously. And it's kind of a a two-pronged betrayal. And it's interesting that in the last conversation between Tom and Bill, we see that Bill says, thank you, essentially, for, for giving me that push, that motivation, that chip on my shoulder, right? Because you two thought I was the one who wasn't going to make it. And that made me get my act together. At least that's what he's telling himself. Maybe that's how he got over the heartbreak of that. Being sort of stabbed in the back is he said, I'm going to bury myself in work, (laughs) right? I'm going to prove it to them or stick it to them. I'm going to be the one who gets out of here. And he made good on that. But obviously it did not do away with the demons and the ghosts that are still haunting him about that switcheroo
2: my only hang up with this episode is that we had different actors playing these characters for so much of it. And the actors playing the younger versions of them were great, Mm -hmm. but I'm just so emotionally invested in these, in the, in the actors we know playing the roles. Like I would almost sign up for some, you know, (laughs) CGI de-aging process or something to give us, uh, to, to, to give us some of those scenes because it was like some of the most important scenes these characters will ever have, you know, and it's, and, and I don't get to see my guys, and girls mm-hmm. like doing doing the parts. But there was also something interesting going on with willie and and Tom before she even found out that he was the one that was chosen because when he she walked into the locker room or wherever they were meeting, she said, "Hey, do you want me to ride up with you in a very friendly way?" yeah, and then and that was before she knew that they were only really interested in him, presumably. Right.
3: And asking if, if he and Carol are breaking up. Yeah. He
2: said, I got to tell you something. And she, and she just says, oh, are you getting a divorce? You know? And he's (laughs) like, why, why, why would you say that? And (laughs) it's just like, oh, sorry. So that's (laughs) on her mind. You know, there's obviously a lot more, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of sort of pathos. There's a lot of like, you know, emotional uh, infrastructure in these relationships that we don't know about. And we, we know we should know that, right. Because, you know, one of the characters, uh, is no longer with us in showtime. And even in terms of wild bill, I mean, he's been mostly a bit part or a sort of, you know, instigator, but not much of a character through the first season, you know, and, and there's, there's just a lot there that we knew we didn't know. But what we've learned is that it probably goes a lot, runs a lot deeper than we would have even assumed.
3: Mm -hmm. And I've been clamoring for the Willie flashback. So even though this is a a joint flashback, I'm glad we got this and it filled in a little bit of the backstory of her whole relationship with these guys. There's just, as Bill says, a lot of deja vu happening today. You have history repeating itself. Obviously, the meeting with Brooks juxtaposed with the meeting with Ted Turner and the betrayal of Wild Bill juxtaposed with the possible betrayal of Jack when there's the conversation about leaving for FWD. And and then there are some other little resonances too, right? There's the the chant of WCW at the beginning and the chant Mm -hmm. of DWL at the end decades later. And I think, Maybe there's a repeated line in there somewhere. That's how things go sometimes. So, so there's a lot of just callbacks. And and it's kind of poignant because there's a, a line where Tom says it's a terrible business and Willie says doesn't have to be. And that was in the past, I think. And arguably, still a terrible business in some ways in the future. Certainly, financially, it's not on solid footing. But also, there's still backstabbing going on, and there's still all this interpersonal drama. So, things have improved in some ways, but also not in other ways. Obviously, Tom ended up killing himself. So, it is still sort of a terrible business in, in some ways, even though she says it doesn't have to be. I think the question is... Does it? Maybe it does. This episode is brought to you by
2: eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience, the formula for winning championships, is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED highlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. Exclusions apply. Let's talk a little bit about Tom's last days. In the second, the flashback two, um, where the characters are played by their current actors, let's just put it that way. This is just in the relatively recent past. Um, actually, it's right before season one opened, which is what, how far are we from Tom's suicide in show terms? a said he died last year.
3: Yeah, I think it's In about this episode, a year. but
2: yeah but it's 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 it always is shorter than you realize' yes. watching the show um duffy DWL needs money to keep going so Jack makes what is apparently a very regular pilgrimage to go see wild Bill and ask him for some money, although he won't doesn't tell his wife or anyone else that he's doing this right mm-hmm. so he goes he goes and and uh, says he's looking at talking to some investors he ends up going to visit bill on the set of what's the movie called is it heaven will wait heaven heaven forbid (laughs) heaven forbid um which is a you know highway to heaven style tough actor playing angel lifetime original movie it felt like um and they talk and they have a good night out and then you know there's a great moment where there's a pause and bill just said kind of grins and says you can't even bring yourself to ask me this time can you
4: you can't even ask it this time can you After the previous asks. Two decades on the road and in the ring. Two decades. And this chicken wing dinner might be the best performance of my life. Pretending like we're still pals.
1: We (laughs) ain't.
4: Hey, sweetheart, the bra pin. Four hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars I have loaned you to date. No, Tom. We aren't pals. I'm an ATM. Once every year and a half, two years or so, I get a text or a call, gotta fire up the kayfabe, make like my best friend and break my fucking heart just so I can give him 50 grand I'll never see back. Poor Wild Bill got to make a living doing what he loves, Like you didn't? Not for fucking millions of dollars. And whose fault is that? Because it sure as shit isn't mine. How's I supposed to vouch for you, Bill? You're a clown who talks about his dick all the time. You are a dick all the time. Oh, so it's my fault then. Is that what you want to hear? It's my fault. I shit the bed. I fucked it all up. And you're a rock star. Bravo. Don't give me that self-loathing crap. You've got a family. Carol and those boys. You got the life. It's not everything
2: we thought it would be. Yeah, well, the alternative is exactly what we always knew it'd be. So, while Bill cuts Tom the check, says, next time, just call my accountant. It's easier that way. Uh, Tom leaves and... Calls home and says the investor said yes. You know, we get we, we're okay, we're solvent for a little while. And then the next thing, oh, and then rewrites the script for heaven forbid to give to and improves upon it uh immensely, apparently. And and uh Bill cuts that, you know, cuts that promo, does that model, does the new monologue that that Tom wrote, and everybody's awed by it. Yep. And then he comes home from his hotel to get word from from Tom's wife that Tom has committed suicide. And also. You know, incidentally, fuck you for not helping him, which he did, but she just doesn't know that.
3: Right. And and he can't divulge that to defend himself because Tom asked him not to tell. Right. And there's a a moment where he he's about to say, I I just saw him. Right. He he starts to say, I just I just right. But either he doesn't get it out or he realizes just in time that he can't say that because it would give away why he was seeing him. But yeah. In fact, he's been quite generous to a friend who either screwed him over or was willing to, right? I mean, he's into him for half a million bucks now that he knows he's not going to get back, even though it's technically a loan. And he's willing to keep paying out, right? And it's such a, a... tough scene to see them there sitting at the bar. And we know that these are men, the spades who who are not particularly open with their emotions. And you see Bill talking about how much he's making for this kind of trashy movie, right? And maybe there's some part of him that is gloating a little bit, like, hey, I made it and this is chump change to me. But I think he also pities Tom And Tom knows that he's being pitied and he hates that because he's a proud man. And they have this whole exchange where they're talking about who has it better, right? And Tom has the family. But as we've seen, Tom's family life is not particularly happy these days, right? It's awful quiet at home. The kids are no longer kids. They're out of the house. Carol and Tom don't have the greatest relationship. And Tom just says, you've got the life with just naked envy, right? He says the alternative is exactly what we always knew it would be, which is sort of a sad thing to say about the family that he's built and the DWL entertainment that he's provided to Duffy for decades. But when he looks Mm -hmm. at how much more glamorous Bill's life is, even if he's on kind of a budget production with a crappy script here, comparatively speaking, he's hit the big time. And... Tom has not and he kind of has to come crawling back, right? He has to beg basically, which is not something we know he's wired to do.
2: No, I mean it's his inability his unwillingness to do that that sort of set the course for his life, right? I mean he, he didn't he he wouldn't grovel or the way that's the way he would have perceived it to Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he obviously never got in with WWE and you know, just the big time never came for him. And now he has to do it to survive. I mean, to to keep the
3: DWL alive. Yeah, he's humbled. And Bill doesn't big time him the way Ted Turner did. He takes his calls. uh, He'll go out for a drink with him. He does do the make a wish prank, but that wasn't specifically (laughs) for Tom. The first time I watched that, I thought, wow, this security guard is uh, really yanking Tom's chain here. But obviously, <laughs> <laughs> Bill put him up to that. But it's not even like an inside joke between the two of them. It's just a generic joke or prank that Bill plays on everyone who comes to visit him, which speaks to the lack of a real <laughs> relationship that they have now, right? It's just one of them comes out with his hand out and the other says, call my accountant and I'll see you yeah. in two years.
2: You know, just hearing you recount that scene almost <laughs> brought a tear to my eye, which is, I mean, that as a compliment to you, but I think even separate from you, just kind of reliving it in my own mind um, was just, there's a lot of heartbreak, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, we, you talked about the various ways that we've, that we've encountered Tom Spade's death in this show. And um, this is the first time that I cared that Tom Spade died. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, when they went, they went back through it in the first episode of this season. We had more of a background for the show, you know, for the, all the characters in the show. But in terms of giving real meaning and significance to his death, I mean, that's been the question for this whole show. Like, why did he do it? Right? Mm-hmm. He's a coward and everything else. I mean, that's what his son—that's what one of his sons said. But, but just watching them go through that, watching him go through, you know, the ups and downs. It's, it's, it was just incredibly effective. I, I just, I, for, for a wrestling show with no wrestling in it, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my heartstrings were, were effectively tugged.
3: Yeah, mine too. And it's partly because we see the reaction that Bill has to Tom's death to learning about it, which is more emotional really than his own family's reaction. I mean, maybe Ace, Ace obviously was, was torn up by it, but Jack and Carol, just are numb right or at least that's the the face they present to the world where jack you know a year later kind of finally allows himself to admit to the pain that he's feeling but initially at least they bury it and they all have these fraught complex relationships with tom too who was not necessarily the best dad and husband all the time and obviously mm-hmm. wasn't the best friend to bill either but bill clearly feels it and breaks down in a way that Jack and Carol didn't. I mean, when Bill is breaking down on the phone, Carol is just stone-faced, right? Now, I don't know what's going on behind the face, but there's more open emotion and and weeping and just being devastated by this news. And so that, I think, makes it clear that this relationship meant something to him, at least at some point, despite all the crap that came after, right? And it's... I think
2: it meant something to him, though. I think that was, it was, you know, you talked about it as sort of his... his Motivator to prove them wrong, yeah. But also like that—that was his family, you know. I mean, as the as the as the you know at the beginning of the flashbacks, it's like this is the team. It's Willie and Bill and Tom, and he got pushed out. He got kicked to the curb by the other two. Yeah, and I think what's most sort of amazing is watching him in the present, sort of reclaiming the role that he wished he had all along in the D.W.L. And still, not even coming, not even being open about the fact that he's the, like he's their biggest benefactor.
3: Mm-hmm. And he clearly still has a lot of admiration for Tom, even though Tom is still stuck in Duffy. He he didn't quote unquote make it. We know that Bill has the utmost respect for his writing skills, his vision. He said, "Thought you'd protect me from being a, a clown. Thought I'd spend my whole life playing your shit." Like you get the sense that he would prefer that they had made it together that they had had Mm -hmm. each other's backs, that they had both broken through. And he doesn't want to be reading these shitty scripts, right? He wants to be reading what Tom writes for him. It's it's clearly so much better. And it was kind of heartbreaking. The the young Bill, when he's talking to the young Willie, as they're waiting for Tom during the first would-be Ted Turner meeting, Bill says, you know, he's talking about how they're going to make it. And he says we speak up by making ourselves indispensable with no drama, right? He's just talking yeah. about like let's keep our heads down, no drama. You know, we'll just prove that that we deserve it, and and we'll get everything we deserve.
0: How do I let him know I don't want to just
4: be your valet?
5: By being the best valet you could be.
4: Boo! Bad answer. We just got to make each spot in our matches shine. Word will get around that you want to rescue. We just got to work hard, do whatever they ask before we ask for what we want.
2: We still got to speak
4: up. We speak up by making ourselves indispensable with no drama. That's no way to get ahead fast. You watch how soon we climb the ladder, not by asking for anything,
5: but by being hardworking
3: and reliable. And obviously he did end up making it, but he made it in such a way that he ends up taking his dick out on a plane and getting fired, right? <laughs> so so there's a, a happier outcome even for Bill that's in play here. Maybe not financially, but an outcome where I guess you could say, arguably, still the love of his life, Willie is with him. That his brother, his friend Tom, is with him too. That they had all made it together. So even for the one of them that actually made it, I don't yeah. think he made it quite the way he would have wanted to. No, because you, as everybody
2: wants two things, you know, in the very like kind of most basic versions of 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 you know, like movie archetypes, like everybody wants to be rich and successful. Everybody also wants to be happy and loved. Right. And and if, the, if if there is a if you if you're forced to choose between one or the other, then you're always going to be unhappy, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is why we love working at The Ringer, where we can both be <laughs> fairly compensated and um, and loved by our coworkers and families. <laughs> Do you have any questions for me as in terms of wrestling history, in terms of Ted Turner and WCW
3: and WWF, anything from the 90s wrestling flashbacks? I did some reading on that. Did, did my own research, so I, I I get the gist. And obviously, I was uh, around at the time and, and following at least loosely. But I I was kind of curious about Bill's speech about how maybe wrestling is kind of coming to an end. I mean, is that based on a larger conversation about? Wrestling, which uh, in many ways seems to be thriving, or is that just looking at the history? I mean, you know, Bill, I guess, is is potentially thinking of what happened to these previous wrestling leagues, right? They fell apart, and maybe he's factoring that into his pep talk, his masterclass about the DWL here, just knowing that nothing lasts, you know? <laughs> Didn't last for Ted Turner, might not last for us, but are there larger concerns uh, about the health of of wrestling as an art form well as i a- mean
2: listen it's worth it's worth mentioning that this episode was presumably written at a time before the boom that they're in right now you might have yeah. been able to foresee some sort of boom but the, but the but the boom that we're in is pretty specific and, and and recent um you know wwe has been cashing big checks for a long time especially in you know over the past well that de- decade really but you know five or six years in particular But for a long time, the wrestling business, those big checks were specific to WWE. It's not like a lot of other people were coasting on it. Now, AEW's out there doing really good business. They just, you know, put over 80,000 people into Wembley Arena last weekend. But, you know, these words were probably written at a time where I don't know if anybody would have been saying boom really confidently. That said, I think that's sort of the tension of, of the way that we all understand pro wrestling is that on the one hand, it's this sort of eternal truth right it's just like it 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 is an it is an art form built on the most primal aspects of humanity it's physical violence it's good versus evil it's it's you know the real the real building blocks of storytelling so there is a sort of timelessness to it but yeah i mean it's been around for a long time and it is certainly seen as a as a vestige of the past by a lot of people I don't know if wrestlers had these sort of conversations. I'm sure they don't have them, you know, with this with the, <laughs> the verbosity of, yeah. of Wild Bill. But I think that what's interesting about wrestling is that, yeah, it's, I mean, all, he was right. All, all of these art forms had this sort of window in time, and, and then they faded away. Pro wrestling, for the most part, was never, I mean, it, it, you know, I don't think for the most part, pro wrestling has never been the predominant form of art and, and artistic communication in any culture. And so I think it thrives a little bit by living in the background. But, you know, if WWE went under, if you know, whatever, if 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 we're if we're if we come to, if we get down to three or four or five major media conglomerates and all of them just decide unilaterally we don't like wrestling. Could wrestling just disappear? Yeah. I mean it could, it could start dwindling pretty quickly. So I guess mm-hmm. that's always a potential. But mm-hmm. I'll keep podcasting about wrestling in whatever form it, it exists in, even if it's only in, if, even if it's only in stars' dramas. You know, for yes. the, for, for the uh, the rest of my life.
3: Yes, I'm here for as many seasons of this series as they want to make.
2: Jesse, did you have any notes on this episode before we get into the awards? Is there anything that you wanted to say? What are they doing to Diego? <laughs> They're messing up Diego. <laughs>
1: he's, I feel like after last I didn't bring season, you in just
2: for this, but I'm glad that you said it, because it <laughs> that was... That
1: was my first thought, yeah. Because, like, last the last episode, they brought him down just to bring it back up. Before that, it was him get, being mad because he didn't know about the condemned appearance. And then now, today, he's getting called out by a podcast. And that's where they left it. Like, it was in the very beginning... Uh They li- they were listening to a podcast that was talking about like the swerve of the week And it was Crystal joining Florida Dystopia And then at the end it was like Oh what about Diego Cottonmouth Where is he? He's nowhere to be seen and He's just shown there being like I'm doing all like the behind the scenes work But not getting enough credit for it Essentially again Starting over his whole Like arc this season
2: Yeah Well I mean I presume we're going somewhere with him Everybody Mm -hmm. took a backseat, including Crystal, including what, I mean, aside from the four people this episode focused on, um, everybody was taking a backseat this week. Even Ace took a backseat this week, coming off a main event performance last week where he, his entire role was just looking like an idiot and saying the wrong things in the meeting with Brooks Rizzo. But I thought it was important, you know, in pro wrestling, they often say it's more important to be a heel than it is to be a babyface in terms of getting the crowd into it, Right. Uh, and sometimes to to get that big finish in the end, you got to look bad. You got to show some ass. You got to get beat down the week before you get your big victory over the heel. It was important that they talked about him on that podcast. It was important that there was somebody saying, where the hell, what the hell are they doing with Diego in the episode where you could say, what the hell are they doing with Diego? Because I think that sort of calls the shot that he's going to get, get his shine back, uh, next week or the week after.
3: Yeah. And at least he has his name in the Wild Bill and Diego Cottonmouth podcast, which as mm-hmm. we know is a huge hit. But I'm glad you mentioned Ace because he doesn't get a lot of screen time here. Love that he shows up for the business meeting with Continuum in full condemned regalia. But also- And the moment,
2: I, by the way, the moment where he should have realized how ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous it was, he says, oh, damn. And And you expect him to be like, yeah. Like, this is not what I should be wearing. It's like, I forgot
3: the crown. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not, should I button this robe? Should I, should <laughs> I put wear a t-shirt on? Should I take yeah. Yeah, my makeup off? No, <laughs> no, I forgot the crown. Damn. More elaborate, <laughs> yeah. But I did appreciate his little manifesto at the start about examining his unexamined life and mm-hmm. how he doesn't want to wing it anymore. Yeah, he's making a vision board. Carol, of course, is uh, not very supportive, just concerned about her, her table being damaged but but i support you ace and uh, your your philosophical <laughs> epiphany here so i appreciated that a couple other very minor things we do get sort of uh potentially post-coital morning after bobby pin and crystal cuddling mm-hmm. and and podcast listening scene here we have still really yet to see them actually hook up in the way that Ace and Crystal did in some scenes, right? We have not seen them in the act. It is obviously implied here. We have uh, we've seen them make out, so we're being discreet here. But you know, it's only fair that uh, at some point they get the the full steamy sex scene here to <laughs> Bobby to consummate King gets the, his full three count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gets the pin. Yeah, to consummate this uh, relationship on screen, and just a, a couple other little things. There were two very minor things that that sort of threw me one was one line and i i never really nitpick with this show because it very rarely gives me the opportunity to but there's one line after the meeting with continuum at the very end when jack comes out to tell everyone how it went and he says it's nothing yet but it's not not nothing which I listened to about ten times because it kind of broke my brain. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that line doesn't actually make sense as written <laughs> and said because it's not not nothing means it's nothing. So he's saying it's nothing yet, but it's nothing. <laughs> so something went went a little awry there with that one. So that stood out <laughs> to me. I was also sort of uh, thrown by when when Stacy shows up late to the meeting, even though we. Saw her go in before it started, or it seemed like she went. I think there it.
2: Before- ju- I think. I think there was a time jump. I think that we saw her go in, and then we rewound to when Wild Bill and and Willie uh, left maybe. the office. Yeah. That took that that car. That was strange
3: too. It's like we yeah, thought she was cal- in how I
1: took it too, but it was kind of a strange placement of it.
3: Yeah, and and a more substantive note. Just the the rewrite on the script at the end when. Tom wrote those lines in this place is made of pure love, but if you love something, you can hurt it and it can hurt you purely Mm -hmm. when he's writing that. I don't know if he had already resolved to do what he was going to do, but hard not to read that as maybe just sort of a summation of his life and his wrestling career and the DWL, right, which Uh is made of love. They've certainly invested a lot of love into that, but if you love something, you can hurt it and it can hurt you. And clearly there's a, a lot of hurt going back and forth both ways, right? So the the final line there in in Wild Bill's Oscar reel, just because this is heaven doesn't mean it can't be hell. Obviously, the ring and the DWL, it's it's been both of those things at various times and it ended up being more of the latter for King Spade, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, Tom Spade's only kind of suicide note was writing to Jack to take care of Ace, right?
3: Yeah. So this is much more of a suicide note, really, than yeah. the one he left his family.
2: That's strange. I mean, and not like, I understand like his obligation not to say anything about their relationship. You know, Wild Bill's, you know, promise not to say anything, but you think he could also, you think he, it's, it's not outside of bounds to be like, Hey, he rewrote some of the stuff that <laughs> I was said on this, in this t- made for TV movie most <laughs> shortly, the day before he died, maybe you guys could get something out of
3: this. Yeah. I don't
2: know, maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll get to see, <laughs> maybe episode eight will just be, heaven forbid, <laughs> then that's massive it. Massive revi-
3: residual <laughs> check just pours in and, and bails out the DWL <laughs> of all of its financial issues. Yeah, and, and also one little touch. I, I appreciated when Bill asks Willie to wait to start drinking before the meeting, you know, he just puts his hand over the, the cup and says, wait, right? Which again, like there's so much baggage in history between these two, but they both wrestled literally and figuratively with their demons and they've both been at the bottom of a glass. And I guess they're, they're kind of, both helping each other stay yeah. sober. This is a big moment, right? So even though there's a lot of bitterness, I mean, it's it's tough to be around your ex every day in the workplace, <laughs> especially if there's all this uh, unburied, unresolved issues, right? And still there's a, a tenderness there, you know? Certainly sometimes Bill lashes out as he did last season and sometimes he can be very hurtful. But there's a, a lot of love there probably in both directions just because these two have been through so much and put each other through so much. And I also liked Willie's line, sometimes people get so comfortable with the building, they get scared of the getting, right? Which Oh, is God, that was great. Great line. There's all the friends that I've made here. You know, everything that we're building together.
1: Yeah,
4: well, sometimes people get so comfortable with the
0: building
1: they get scared of the getting
3: you know maybe trying to justify her own actions how she was looking for a way to get what she wanted get what she could and it backfired for everyone but she still just doesn't want to make the mistake of sticking with the same horse too long right so we'll Mm -hmm. see if she repeats the same tactic or whether she's uh, learned a lesson about sticking with the spades or or loyalty or or anything
2: well what, when, when they leave the the meeting room when jack and ace are about to meet with brooks rizzo willie and, and bill walk out and willie says here we go again one of the one of the the least artful lines that i'll ever write down from this show but it was it's poignant because this is it's a it's an echo of what bill and willie went through with Tom and Ted Turner, all those years before. And, you know, we known that from the beginning that this show is about Jack Spade trying to be his dad without making the same mistakes as his dad. But we didn't really realize that everybody is sort of walking in this parallel universe to where they'd been before. You know, that that this is all history repeating itself. All right, let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's do the awards. The world champ of... Heel season two, episode six appearances. Uh, are we all gonna agree it's wild Bill? Ben already Ben already. Yeah.
5: <laughs>
2: it's a little bit of an unusual award because we have two different wild bills and three mm-hmm. different timelines. So we have two actors who are sort of giving this to. but in terms I mean, but this is an award for a character uh, and and this was a, this was the bill episode. yeah. But anything else need to be said on that front?
3: It's just a, a group achievement, I guess yeah, <laughs> for all the, is, all the bills is. collectively.
2: The main event, which speech would you give? Are you, if, if you had to boil it down to one monologue, one or one of the interactions in this episode, what's the main event for you? Whew.
3: It's tough. I guess I'm going to go with the bar scene. The last, the, the last supper, the last beer between these two guys. That, would probably be my pick but it's tough that's why this was wild bill's signature episode right because uh, he had so many moments here he had his brave heart moment he had his emotional reaction on the phone at the end which was the payoff of of everything so mm-hmm. that could easily be the choice even though it was almost wordless but yeah i'll go with with the scene where there's more spoken although there's certainly a lot that goes unspoken as well yeah,
2: and not for nothing. These are the actors that we have grown accustomed to, right? You know, goes to Tom Spade doing a lot of work in this one, <laughs> or the real life Tom Spade. Um, well, I, but I agree with you that that was that. I mean, that's the main event for me. And then you could give the holy shit, you holy shit moment of the week to to Bill finding out yeah. um, that his best friend is has died. Are there any other contenders there for you?
3: I think that was the winner, hands down, probably. I think mm-hmm. just a lot about that scene i was actually going to say probably my my gimmick of the week if it qualifies for that is just the choreography of how he reacts to that news like he he stands up and and you think that he's just going to walk out as if nothing had happened he goes to put his bag on his shoulder and then just drops it to the ground as mm-hmm. if he doesn't even notice you know just his mind is elsewhere and for a moment you think gosh maybe this doesn't mean so much to him maybe just too much has transpired and then it becomes clear that no he's completely devastated he's going through the motions he doesn't even know what he's doing in this moment cuz his world has just been thrown off its axis so just the little touches in that scene and and also obviously the the big reveal because it was a big reveal to him and and also just the whole episode was a big reveal to us in terms of what their relationship actually consisted of.
2: Yeah, it's totally true. Um wrestling is a you know morality play, but it's also at its very core a mortality play. And and <laughs> and, and we you know, we've lost a couple of wrestling legends in the past week or two. Um mm-hmm. as a fan, as a viewer, there's this sort of like subtle perception of immortality that we attach to our wrestling icons but i think even more so the people in the business you know you kind of it's a certain type of person that can really succeed in this and you don't you can't believe that death is around the corner you know Mm -hmm. to really make it work it's just heartbreaking watching how physically affected he was in that moment but yes i i totally agree with you uh the gimmick was there a was there a small choice, a small scene, a small line that made you happy, particularly in this episode?
3: Yeah, I don't know if there was one that made me <laughs> happy. There were definitely some that made me sad, like the one I just mentioned, just Chris Bauer's choices there just responding to that news and I'd like to know how much of that was scripted and and how much of that was organic. Usually I I like to shout out the little moments of levity and it's not to say that there weren't any in this episode but this was probably the the heaviest we've seen so far and and the fewest comedia dell'arte moments mm-hmm. <laughs> in this episode so so yeah I guess I'm I'm just going to go with the mechanics of mourning there.
2: Yeah, I mean unless you want to go with freedom that we've mentioned mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Um there are a lot of small choices in the flashbacks that that I really appreciated. I watched it the second time through, trying to like I watched it one time and then it kind of stirred, you know, it lived in my head for a couple of days, and I sort of made up some nits to pick with the with the scenes where Tom goes to meet with Ted Turner. Timeline wise, you know, historically, whatever. I rewatched it and they weren't there anymore. I mean, they made the they they kind of hit that exactly right i wish eric bischoff would have made an appearance because it would have just been funny to have that guy who was such a big figure in my wrestling viewing childhood or not childhood but young adulthood but i I thought it was that part that part to me was just so well done to bring in such a red herring like i mean that's not even the right word but just this like this screwball out of nowhere plot point you know where it's just like oh yeah we're going to tie this in to the most pivotal moment in modern pro wrestling history and say a bunch of names that really matter in the broader wrestling world you're just like really and they pulled it off that was really cool I think to me if I the one other little moment I want to shout out I don't even know if this can be categorized was we haven't really talked about Willie a lot in this sh- episode but the conversation she has with Crystal about Crystal potentially jumping ship to go to to um, FWD was certainly the most sort of sober maybe literally but definitely figuratively that we've seen Willie in the entire show where it's not arch it's not kind of inward looking crystal says so you tell me i should do it and, and willie says i don't know what i would do if i were you i just want you to know that like you have an opportunity and yeah that watching her kind of take the first steps in that direction of evolution i think has was it bears mention.
3: Yeah, I've been wanting to see more of her history, so I'm I'm glad we got that even though she sort of had to share the spotlight with uh, other members of that trio in the flashbacks. There's just so much richness to these characters in the present that I always like to get a glimpse of who they used to be and how they turned into the people we know now. I'd still like to know more about Bill's background, <laughs> right? And, and potentially Crystal and how she got so into wrestling in the first place and how did Gully become the fwd guy right i mean there's a a whole heels prequel that i would watch here so i'm I'm glad that we get the little lost style episodes here and there that focus on on how these characters got to where they are
2: two questions before we get out of here for you carol ace and jack's mom tom's uh wife is she just a heel in this show like wait, does she only exist to rile us up, and are we is is she gonna get a face turn like everybody else in this show has gotten are we gonna is it are we gonna get an episode eight flashback where where it turns out she was the good person all along? yeah, <laughs> or is it just or did we sort of get that in this episode where she's she's sort of along for the ride, and she really gets hurt by everything that her husband does,
3: yeah. Carol's a tough hang, <laughs> and she was a tough hang. Really, you know, mostly when we see her, it's in the wake of her husband's suicide. So you do give a little bit of of special dispensation and understanding there with everything that she's had to deal with. But boy, she is uh, not the greatest company. Which is not to say that she's had it easy either,
4: mm-hmm. because
3: uh, Tom certainly put her through the ringer financially and probably in other ways as well and uh, it can't have been easy raising those two boys and devoting your whole life to them so i understand where she's coming from but you know some of the i guess the <laughs> the religious uh, zealotry or or harshness that she shows as opposed to stacy's uh, more forgiving religious stance that obviously is hard on her family as well. So, I mean, there have definitely been moments where we feel sympathy for her, right? Like that conversation back when I guess it was about the one-year anniversary of Tom's death and Stacy finally broaches that subject and they, they hug it out and mm-hmm. Carol's talking about how she doesn't know how to drive herself around anymore because she was so dependent on Tom and he was her whole life and she sort of lost who she was as an independent person. I mean there've definitely been moments where i i feel for her but it would be nice to see a little bit more compassion at times from her that's for sure
2: yeah or compassion from the show to her i mean like i just don't know it's almost like in another show i wouldn't even be asking this question but in a show where everything where everybody is treated with such you know humanity i'm just like what am i is, is she <laughs> what am i missing yeah. when, you know when when am i when are we going to get like
1: She's not portrayed in the best of light. Like, after this episode, I'm just like, man, she's uh, she's kind of a bitch.
3: (laughs) There was that that one moment, I I think, in the flashback, there's like a a glimpse of young Carol for a second, right? When Uh she's like uh, adjusting Tom's suit that he's going to wear to his meeting with Ted Turner and she's smiling and and seems sort of happy go lucky it's like this is these are the glory days this is when it still looked like things were going to work out and now decades have gone by and she's just been beaten down by circumstance yeah. right so it's like the the smile has gone out the light has gone out of her life so i guess that's what the show is telling us right that she was the one who was responsible for raising these boys, and they were always living paycheck to paycheck. And she was under the impression that Tom was too proud to go get help from Bill. So you can certainly see why she's bitter about the whole thing. I mean, Tom is because his life didn't work well, out. She the was way the one raising the boys, and,
2: and and now they idolize their dead dad, right? I mean, yeah, there's, right. There's there's a whole lot in there.
3: Yeah, and she's saying, you know, this was not what you promised me, right? I mean. It, it becomes clear that they were on the verge of, of potentially breaking up before he broke them up in the most final way possible. Right, mm-hmm. so so things were not great even before the past year in which things have not been great.
1: Yeah, I want to know how long, like that, the time frame from when uh, Carol told Jack that to the point where he took his life, because I feel like this episode just shows like the hours or at least the decisions that went into Jack's head before he
2: finally made the choice to take his life. Right. Yeah. So there's just so much there. Maybe we'll get more of that. That'll be season three, I'm sure. Just a lot. (laughs) We'll have to wait a little bit longer. Last question. And normally I don't mess with this stuff, but the show's, the episode is called Appearances. Mm, Yeah. There's a lot of components to this, right? I mean, it's where we learned a whole lot about the characters that we didn't realize, you know, like all the appearances, appearances were incredibly deceiving when it Mm -hmm. came to especially Wild Bill but also Willie and and what we knew about Tom um also there's the sort of you know getting dressed up for big meetings sort of uh, definition of appearances but why would you not just call this episode deja vu or <laughs> here we go again or something i mean is it like is it do you think it rewrote the history in such a in in a convincing enough way that this is that that appearances can be deceiving is the real lesson of this episode
3: yeah, I think it probably works on multiple levels. I think there's that there's also just the idea of of keeping up appearances and how Tom was so concerned with preserving some pride, at least publicly and with his family, that he just sort of internalized all that pain, you know, oh, I, yeah. if you could right. say that one. If if he had shared with Carol that he was getting these handouts from Bill in a way, that might have made him feel bad about himself that he wasn't able to sort of support his family independently, but maybe it would have improved their relationship because that's one of the things that she's holding against him is that he's been too proud, she thinks, to go get help from Bill, right?
2: Yeah, and there will, by the way, there will come a point in this season where Jack's going to be too proud to do the right thing for his company to sign on with Continuum or whatever it is, work with FWD and, and, and while Bill will have the opportunity to tell him, like, your dad, right. you, you learned your pride from your dad, but your dad's pride was bullshit.
3: Exactly. You know? And and to do that, though, he'll have to break Tom's confidence, right? And, mm-hmm. and his promise not to tell, but he'll do it for the good of his family and his kids. So I think appearances, it, it works. Probably there are multiple interpretations uh, of that that uh, resonated with me. All right. Well, we got two more episodes, right? Two more episodes this season? Yeah.
2: Dude, this has been a hell of a season so far. <laughs> I just can't. Now the hardest part of every week for me is not pushing play onto the next episode when I when I watch the week's episode. Yes. Jesse, can you sympathize? Jesse's probably out there watching everything though. We don't know. We,
1: <laughs> no, we, no, we didn't no. Make him take the. I'm, load I'm the, keeping okay, it up. Good. Yes. I'm. I'm. I'm not going. I'm keeping up with everyone. I'm not going I ahead. Hope
3: our listeners uh, appreciate our self control, our restraint here that we're. The gave us
2: all of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> normally when you do these sort of things, they like give you four or they'll have Mm -hmm. like the one that's like, they'll have the embargoed one that you can't watch until like the day of. And then that, so there's, there are things that keep you, keep you honest. And this one is just, all we have is ourselves. Could have binged the whole thing. We're not very honest people.
5: (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment. So it's important View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
2: And now, let's go to Ben's interview with episode director, Pete Siegel.
3: All right, Ben back here, and I am joined by Peter Siegel for the first time since episode two of this season prolific Heels director, including of this episode, Appearances. Peter, welcome back. Thanks. Nice to be here. Let's start with the important question. How often do actors show up on your set with a new monologue that was just scribbled in the margins by their friend? And when that happens, how happy are you to do another take?
0: (laughs) First of all, not a lot of uh, last second scribbling in the margins. Uh, (laughs) Mike O'Malley was the showrunner. <laughs> is uh meticulous about all the words. And he and Blake Masters and Victoria Morrow who wrote this episode, they worked very hard on it. Uh it was really something that I think was uh sort of the jewel in this year's crown, if you will, in terms of some of the storytelling that really explains a lot about um the whole engine of the series, which is uh, the fate of, of Tom Spade and what happened and why everyone is the way they are today.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was going to be my first serious question. <laughs> Tell us uh, about why you and the other creators have viewed this as such a significant episode, which is, I think, how we interpreted it too.
0: Well, I think if you go back uh, to last year, the, the season one, um, so much of the story was a mystery. Uh, okay. In terms of uh, what happened to Tom, uh, why uh, did he take his life, and what led to that. And I think this episode uh, by far shined the most light on that and answered a lot of those questions, uh, which I found fascinating because there's one thing is you see how everyone is trying to pick up the pieces, how, you know, Jack has been uh, given this albatross around his neck, which he, didn't necessarily want and how he's been dealing with it and why. Uh, now we get to see him, you know, in these flashbacks, you know, as a child witnessing uh, the joy uh, at first of what his father thought was going to be a great thing for the DWL is, you know, um, meeting with Ted Turner and, and uh, joining those ranks, uh, but that it didn't work out that way and how it affected everyone, including especially Wild Bill.
3: And we were talking about how you could go back and rewatch season one with this knowledge in mind, and potentially have a different interpretation of events and view of Bill. I assume that this was known from the start of the series that Bill was making this secret contribution, or was this something that developed as everyone got a feel for that character?
0: I think it was. It developed. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there there have been a few ideas that are percolating, especially for. Uh, if we are so fortunate to have a season three, uh, some ideas that I think are very dramatic and shocking and exciting for me uh, as a filmmaker to tell those stories. And and I think uh, this particular story here, we were looking forward to it. I mean, you saw a little bit of it in uh, the season opener mm-hmm. uh, that I did also um, with Tom's funeral and how uh, it was almost an origin story for for Ace. And we see how he... Went from a football player, a failed football player, to uh, a DWL star. And in this episode, we go further into that uh, and really see what happened in the demise of this legendary figure, Tom Spade.
3: And in this episode, you're juggling three timelines with multiple settings in each, many moving parts. How did making this one differ from making the typical episode?
0: Well... Now we had two versions of each character: a flashback mm-hmm. version and then the present-day version, uh, which was challenging in itself um, from a casting standpoint because uh, those actors that they were in, you know, uh, imitating as younger versions of themselves are, are so unique. So it was really hard to find people, you know, uh, and they had to study, you know, what Chris Bauer did uh, and David James Elliott, etc., and. Um, I think they did a fantastic job, but uh, you know the the real kudos go to I think, one of the most um, underrated actors in Hollywood today, and that's Chris Bauer, who I think, if he doesn't get nominated for an Emmy or win an Emmy for this episode, uh, not all is right in the world. <laughs>
3: Yes, he was our MVP of this episode as well. And even in the the in-universe performance by Wild Bill, I mean, I, I know that you've got The Rock and you've got De Batista, and Roddy Piper and Cena, etc., not to mention the great wrestlers acting on heels. But Wild Bill Hancock's performance in Heaven Forbidden, of course, in, in Take Two in particular, it has to be up there on the list of all-time screen performances uh, by wrestlers, scripted at least.
0: You know, it's it's hard to act badly Uh, (laughs) and, uh, you know, it's because sometimes, you know, if you look at a a movie about comedy punchline, you know, it's when when you're bombing as a comic and you're doing a story about bombing, sometimes it's a very thin line for the audience to understand is the story about a bad comic or, or are they just bad? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is this bad acting, or is it about bad acting? <laughs> we're talking, of course, about you know the uh, the the movie that uh, Wild Bill was doing, and he did a great job straddling that, and also just the moment where you see the idea click in his head that he wasn't just saying words, but that he was saying the words uh, rewritten uh, by Tom in the margins. You know, that that is something I know you were you were joking about that, you know, when uh, as if Mike would do that, he didn't. But obviously Tom did writing a whole monologue in The Margins for Bill and, and his transformation from just going through the motions and just getting a paycheck to really almost eulogizing those words um, with with such great artistry. That is not easy to do for an actor.
3: Yeah, and you've gotten to be sort of a directorial chameleon this season, especially. Last time you were on, we talked about how you filmed the promos, essentially, as if you were the one filming the promos, right? And so here, you're shooting these scenes as if you're shooting this Christian movie, you are shooting the FWD promos, you're shooting the in-ring action in FWD, which is a very different vibe and aesthetic from the in-ring action at TWL. so you're getting to try on all these different styles, right? Some of which I suppose are intentionally less artful than you would normally be.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because we,
3: we didn't want them to be too
0: slick, because otherwise yeah. it strains credulity and you say, okay... Well, those guys wouldn't have that kind of equipment. Those guys don't have, th- the one thing that they do have is a level of sophistication in the writing because they are good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I drew inspiration uh, for the faith-based movie from one of my favorite movies of all time, Heaven Can Wait. Because mm. I thought, well, how are we going to depict heaven? I said, oh, there's no better way than, you know, what <laughs> Warren Beatty and Buck Henry did. Right. So uh, that was definitely a tip of the hat. And, For one of uh, the older actors uh, on the set, like myself, who came on, David James Elliott, as soon as he saw that, he says, Evan can wait! This is awesome!
3: (laughs) You pulled that off, as did those young actors who came in for this episode. As you said, tough assignment, right? So you have Anna Islandsfeld as young Willie, Aaron O'Connell as young Tom, Anthony Coons as young Bill. And not only do they have to embody these very distinctive characters, but they have to do it at these crucial moments in all three of their lives, right? So much of who they became stem from these moments here. And there's so much history here, history with these characters, even before these scenes, history with us that we've seen them subsequently. So what instructions or directions did you give them? Did they watch the whole series from the start? How did they prepare to play these parts?
0: Well, I told them that uh, they had to go home and and study season one because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't teach someone to be a great mimic. They either have it or they don't. They either have the the physical characteristics, which is, I think, what most of the world considers good casting. Oh, they look just like that person or that that actor looks just like the son of the person they're supposed to be, you know, portraying. But. Beyond that, though, they also have to embody the spirit and the personality, and that is uh, really hard, you know, and I think all of those three actors uh, really had a tough assignment and pulled it off great.
3: Can you give me a a real or not real rating on the facial hair of the two Toms and two Bills in this episode? What is authentic, if anything?
0: Oh, it was all real. All uh, real yeah real real mustaches and chops and uh yeah was uh wow.
3: yep i i had my doubts about young toms in particular because that was that was a big bushy one so that's
0: a, that's a tom Selleck we
3: call that yes seriously uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is very authentic very impressive yeah. yep. tell us about bringing 1995 to life in other ways non-facial hair related ways of course You queue up the OJ trial footage to situate us in this time period. But in terms of the settings and the office and the bric-a-brac, everything that you want to get, period, appropriate, not that this is ancient history, but how did you bring to life this particular setting?
0: Well, the good news is that uh, CNN headquarters uh, and Ted Turner's headquarters actually are in downtown Atlanta. Uh, so we did a lot of uh, research on um, the era and uh, the kinds of things uh, that would be in his office. And there's a lot of detail in that set uh, that really uh, gives you the feeling of, of that time. And I wish we could have done you know, close-ups on everything, but down to the trophies, the photographs on the walls... Uh, the only thing you really notice, uh, you know, is the OJ trial and then the Menendez trial, you know, playing. But um, we had uh, hundreds of extras, you know, I mean, the, the, the scene was written, as as Mike always says, it's just an outer office. And yet we found this location that was like a fish tank. It was inside a building with glass walls. And so, yes, it's a small office, but you saw hundreds of extras walking by and uh, as if it was their business day. And they all had to be dressed, you know, appropriately for the era, and so. Um, and yet, it's not like it's probably easier to depict the '70s or the '80s with mullets than it is the '90s or the early 2000s because it's kind of generic. It sort mm-hmm. of blends in. I mean, I am not the most fashionable guy, so I am still wearing a lot of clothes <laughs> from that that time period. So it's it's hard for me to discern the difference. But Laura Bauer, our costume designer, did an amazing job. And, uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey did an amazing job, our our production designer. And so uh, it it was really fun to kind of go back
3: in time. Yeah, I guess there's enough 90s nostalgia programming now that there are probably period people who are very experienced when it comes to localizing things and, and situating things within that time period. But you do tend to see even earlier time periods, maybe. And that's when everything is era appropriate. At least you didn't have to do outdoor scenes. You didn't have to uh, get buildings necessarily other than an establishing shot here or there or cars and traffic. That would have introduced a whole new layer of complexity. But but you actually looked at archival footage of Ted Turner's office to to get some sense of what to stick on the shelves there.
0: Yeah. And uh, we saw uh, actual photos of of his office at the time. And it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of like the Warren Buffett Of his time he not have a very opulent office it was kind of dated furniture um it wasn't as swanky as i would have imagined Mm. and uh that was a little surprising Uh, although we decided to not actually go into his office as a set we kept it out of office um but we still studied you know his world to get it as accurate as we could
3: i assume the separate entrance and exit was a a true-to-life detail
0: uh that i think we kind of made up although, uh, <laughs> i only i only could imagine that he would have more than one uh you know one portal yes. uh, for various reasons you know i've gotten to film on uh the, the Warner Hollywood lot uh in you know central los angeles and uh howard Hughes had an office there that i got to inhabit for one particular pilot <laughs> i was doing and there was a, a bookcase in the back that hit. was that was a secret exit to Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, So that was kind of cool. And I kind of drew from that thinking, okay, this guy has got to have a a secret
3: entrance to get out of there. So Seems plausible to me. So you went from a a ton of in-ring action last week to no in-ring action this week, even though it was a momentous, significant episode. Both excellent episodes in different ways. Do you think about balancing or calibrating that in some way? Do you think we had a lot of wrestling in the wrestling show last week so let's cut back this week or is it all just dictated by the demands of the story at the time
0: it's a little bit of both there was a lot of uh, creative reasons to keep this a more insulated show uh there were i will admit also some financial reasons um you know mm-hmm. we thought that uh, somewhere in the season uh, we wanted to have a more contained episode uh as a lot of series you know have to do as well And, uh, this one coincided with telling a much more intimate story, especially in one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode, the bar scene, which Mm -hmm. is a long conversation between, uh, Tom and Bill. And, uh, but you know, it's amazing, um, uh, how, when you're forced into some of these situations by whatever reason, you know, you get a very different kind of, uh, product. And, um, so even though uh, it it coincided that this was the episode that, that we were going to economize on. It made it so much more intimate that I think also it makes you look forward then to the following week. It's, it's hard to do, you know, uh, extreme action week after week. And we also don't want to tire the audience out either. You don't mm-hmm. want to things as fresh
3: as possible. Yeah, the bar scene stood out to us as well. And of course, the climactic, I guess you could call it, scene when Bill is informed of Tom's suicide. And I wanted to ask about the choreography of that scene, because again, Chris Bauer just did an incredible job there. I particularly liked how he stood up, sat down again, kind of collapsed, almost seemed like he was about ready to walk out of the room, put the bag on his shoulder, then just completely dropped it as if he wasn't even aware of what he was doing in that moment. So I wondered how much of that was scripted and stage directed, and how much of that was just him.
0: It wasn't really uh, scripted per se. All of the the, the mechanisms of how he reacted um, that was something that you know O'Malley and I talked about and discussed. You know what is the best way for someone to get this kind of news. And that's the great thing about working with a guy like Mike, because he can kind of act out his uh, ideas that he's written. And then Chris, you don't really have to tell Chris much. He's such a Ferrari, as I like to refer to him. And, uh, you know, you just have to barely suggest something. And um, I'm always very cautious about very emotional scenes, because you can definitely go too far and you can ruin it. They're incredibly delicate. And so oftentimes, I like to go a little shy of the emotion and then pass the emotion, just, you know, play with the throttle a little bit differently, and then look at it in post and see, you know, when you look at the whole story as a whole, and you realize, okay, uh, we can afford to go push a little further here, because we've held back in other areas, or you know what, we've, we've approached this level of emotion three times already let's not go as far this time but that particular one um i think we probably did it three times and you know it is rare but when you get choked up on the set watching someone perform yeah you know, usually that's that's a good sign that's a yes. good rod
3: it was on on the set of heaven forbidden and also on heels as well and we talked earlier david and i discussed about how We've sort of seen Tom's death three ways, three times from three different perspectives. We've seen the actual moment where he shot himself. We've seen the immediate aftermath with his family. This one, I think, where we don't actually see that moment hit us the hardest of all. And partly that's because of the job that Chris did and, and Bill's reaction to it. And partly, it's just that we had so much more insight into what was going on in Tom's mind, what led to this decision. So I wonder whether there was any consideration of how often do we want to go back to this well and this time period? Is it going to lose some of its emotional impact if we keep showing different variations of this moment because if anything, the opposite happened, and it it paid off even more for us. The third time was the charm
0: well thanks for uh for recognizing that, and I think. Uh, What pops into my head is Rashomon. You know, you tell the same story from different perspectives and have a whole different understanding of that. And so, like you said, we saw very early on the act itself, but you're not informed as to why. Then we show the aftermath, which is how it really affects the children when, you know, his two sons and wife discovered him. But that's sort of the graphic shock of it. Now it's understanding okay there's still a lot of questions that we have you know what led to this why and um and I think that was what was missing so we saw the aftermath we saw in the beginning of this season the funeral how it affected the town how they thought the town was just going to fold up you know because this was uh, the big um show uh and how could it possibly go on from here but we never really saw what led tom to it and then Just the fact that this season is really chipping away at the mess that he left behind uh, from a business standpoint and how uh, everyone has been harboring secrets, you know, not Bill was basically sworn to secrecy. He can't even tell Carol, you know, that he really was a hero and he really did time and time again, give money uh, like an ATM, as he says, to. Tom, but he can't tell anyone that. Mm -hmm. Um, So with all this bluster, you think he might be such an asshole that he really didn't even show up, bother to show up to the funeral. But you know, that's not true. And that's what was heartbreaking and fascinating. Um, And and the fact that, you know, to this day, uh, in our timeline, Carol just absolutely has a misunderstanding of, of what happened, how involved Bill was. I mean, what a cold thing she says to him at the end of this episode you know um basically just letting him twist and yet uh so that all you know as you were mentioning before you know in the performance of chris bauer all that has to come to the surface you know um biting your tongue just your your personal devastation with one of your old best friends killing himself um a- and not being able to you know talk about it i mean that's that's the tragedy of this
3: Yeah, you can certainly understand Carol's reaction in that scene because, of course, she's just lost her husband that day. And also, she doesn't know about these contributions that Bill has been making. David and I were discussing her character earlier and about how we view her, how we're encouraged to view her by the show this season, whether she's a heel, whether we're supposed to sympathize with her plight and the difficulties she's faced. How do you regard Carol, or how should the audience view her in in your mind?
0: Well, she's a very complicated character, as we're discovering, yes. as <laughs> we're discovering, because at first you're not sure uh, what lays beneath the surface. But in the flashback from last week, where we see how she uh, whips yeah. young Jack with a belt, um, was really, you know, a, of a different era in mm-hmm. you know, parenting i mean you know uh, our parents you know if you're of a certain age uh they did take a hand to you you know um we don't do that anymore um but that was you know not only taking a hand but a belt and very severely and we see how both literally and figuratively it scars jack and that was an interesting layer that um was revealing to me so in spite of that and in spite of how much she was excited in that moment last week about the prospects of the continuation of the business you also see her absolute hatred for it in this episode and basically blames the business as part of you know her husband's demise not realizing what really was it wasn't the business it was what tom was doing and all of the mess that you know um uh, financially that drove him to his death
3: right I think there have been more moments this season than in season one where the audience has been in the dark a bit, guessing at things that sometimes the characters are aware of. Obviously, in season one, there were moments where nobody knew what was going to happen. Many moments, uh, climaxes of matches where the people involved had no idea what was going to happen from moment to moment. This season, though, there are more scripted moments, I would say, that we're not in on, whether that is Ace as the Condemned swooping in at times, or it's the match at FWD where we're not sure exactly what's a work and what's a shoot and what's real and what's not, or now finding out that we had the wrong idea about Bill all along, though, of course, so did almost everyone else, right? So I wonder how you've kind of conceived of that, not wanting the audience to feel like the rug was pulled out from under them or or that they didn't see certain things coming, but also wanting to maintain that suspense and surprise as if we're in the audience watching one of these matches along with the in-universe audience.
0: Well, that's exactly the balance that uh, is a challenge on a show like this because it's not a real sporting event where it is uh, not scripted. It is scripted. So how do you make it surprising? Last year, twice, we broke from the script. Well, we can't keep doing that. We can't just (laughs) keep throwing the script out. So then it's, it's like a a poker game. You have to keep your cards close to your best as storytellers. What are we going to reveal? What are we not going to reveal? Obviously the thing that, uh, is the biggest surprise is, uh, Tom's uh, story. And, and this one was so much fun to finally tell and show people, uh, here's what happened, here's why. Um, and we're going to go all the way back, you know, 25, 30 years and and now catch you up so uh hopefully in terms of the where when and why of his death that has now been answered but now we still have yet to explore all of the aftermath and that is the stuff that's the you know Fabergé egg you know what's going to crack how delicate is are all these lies are just you know just barely supporting each other and what's really going to happen and and you know Stacy is sort of like our uh, our detective you know figuring this out and we're not a, you know I was watching with my family last week and they were asking me I said does does Stacy know what's does Jack is Jack really you know involved <laughs> in this is I said I'm not telling you're gonna have to watch <laughs> but um but that's that's the cool part now so this onion is being you know peeled away as we go
3: And structurally, I think the season has kept us guessing, too. Uh, It was sort of a bold decision to come back off the break with a a primarily flashback premiere, right? And then there are some storylines that we were anticipating... Gosh, Ace might be wandering in the wilderness trying to find himself all season. He is still trying to find himself, but with a vision board now as opposed to hiking dangerously, right? So some things I think were resolved or, or accelerated more than we had expected. And other things, actually, we can take a, a more leisurely approach to this. And we can really dig into the backstory and the history here. So you never know what you're going to get in any given Heels episode, what the timeline is going to be what the format is going to be. And I appreciate that. I'm happy to be surprised. But I wonder whether things were moving around as the season was being broken, whether you were thinking this could go here, this could last longer, how much in motion and in flux the structure was.
0: There were some things that were uh, dictated by several different uh, ingredients with regards to the pandemic still ending uh, and therefore what we could shoot, where, how, who could be involved. Um, you know, uh, there were some, you know, budgetary issues that all go into the pot. But bottom line is Mike and and Vic Levin and Blake and Victoria, you know, uh, they really plotted it out very meticulously. And uh, barring a couple of Small uh, story beats that were adjusted. The main ones, which you're talking about, uh, were always uh, scripted and planned on, on the chessboard, you know, as they are.
3: Is there a character who piques your interest personally that you would like to see the show have time to delve into the history of? I've been jonesing for a Willie flashback episode, which we got here. Obviously, you know what's coming the next couple of weeks, but is there a character who you think? There's more to this character and to this story than we've had a chance to show. I hope they get the spotlight at some point. It's interesting uh,
0: how I've got a lot of um, friends and, and neighbors who uh, have, have pointed to uh, Robbie Ramos and his character, uh, Diego, and said, I like that guy. You know, <laughs> what's his story? I want more of him. I didn't necessarily expect that. Last year, I found you know my favorite character was Crystal because she was such an underdog, and I am a sucker for underdogs. Uh, this season, because it was so revealing what was going on with uh, Tom, uh, that I uh, really gravitated towards his story, especially in this particular episode. I'm always fascinated by uh, Willie and Wild Bill and their backstory, uh by the way, also very revealing in this episode, you know their past relationship. I mean it was hinted mm-hmm. to before, but you know how uh in love they seemed, and how Tom really you know kind of absolutely shattered that um that trust that the three of them had as all friends coming up together uh and that was that was fascinating and and really fulfilling as a storyteller. To get into that but yeah i I would say uh anytime we can you know let any uh you know smaller character like a diego rise uh, i love those possibilities it used to be that gully was a smaller character uh, and he's grown and grown um and you know mike and i have talked a lot about what is his backstory yes Uh, and you know uh, did he have any you know, mob affiliations and you talk about a whole array of wild things which may never come to fruition, but it's just so rich. And, and he's such a dynamic character that uh, he's another one that I would really like to get into. And I think, you know, there's going to be some, you know, uh, there are some very shocking and interesting things that we're talking about for next season.
3: Gully was one of my picks too. I, I guess for Mike, maybe there's some conflict of interest there. More of me would be great, but, uh, but also... Well, you know, I, have
0: to, I have to just say one thing. I had to beg Mike <laughs> to take this role. He has joked with me for many, many years that of all the movies that I've done, I've never cast him. And so I said, okay, right now, here we go. You're playing Gully. Because he would read you know, the character with, when anybody else was auditioning. And... Um, And so we said that, dude, you're it. You're the guy. And uh, so I think he felt maybe a little guilty, you know, stepping into this role. But I think it's probably his best role that he's ever played.
3: Yeah, and, and a, a different kind of role than I've uh, been accustomed to seeing him. Often, right? I've, you see him in the Good Place or Snowpiercer, or he's been in so many things. But often, a, a bit more subdued or restrained than Charlie Gully. Which it would be hard not to be more subdued or restrained than Charlie Gully. But no, I, uh,
0: yeah. I I am not an actor, but if I was, I would leap at the chance to play Gully. It is just such a great fun. Uh, character with so many different sides.
3: Last question, and I always pity people who are asked this because how are you supposed to answer? But we've got two episodes left. It's hard to believe that we're that close to the end of the season. Is there anything you can say to entice us about what is coming up without over-revealing what is in store?
0: Well, we're we're on our way to uh, a showdown you know, between the FWD and the DWL all under the guise of a potential sale. Um, and just like last year with the climax, uh, at the state fair, um, fireworks would go off because it doesn't always go as planned. That's all I can tell you. It's going to go as planned. Um, and, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty shocking when, when Mike, uh, pitched me in one sentence how the season ended i just said holy shit really (laughs) and uh he said yeah i said i love it um so that's about as close as i can come to telling you uh just expect the unexpected i guess
3: all right. I'm enticed. I'm hooked. I think you threaded the needle there. Thank you. Great work as always, Peter Siegel, and always a pleasure to talk to you. Hope we get to do it again. Looking forward to finding out what made you say, holy shit. And thank you for your time today.
2: <laughs> you got it, my friend. We'll see you next time. Thank you to Pete Siegel. Thank you, Ben, for that incredible interview. You want to get your plugs in on the way out?
3: Sure, you can read me covering Ahsoka every week and listen to me covering Ahsoka. I don't always sound like this. <laughs> Hopefully by next week, I'll be back to sounding like my usual self. But that's my my main coverage right now. So you can find it at theringer.com and on The Ringerverse and House of Our podcast feeds.
2: Uh, thank you so much for doing this as always, Ben. Thank you, Jesse Lopez, our producer. Um, thank you guys all for listening to this. You can find me here and on the press box all over the Ringer Wrestling Show feed um be listen be sure to listen to all of the great shows there we got some more shows um more exciting stuff coming up very soon so keep watching this space and thank you to heels for giving us so much enjoyment uh every week this is if this is just the most fun show uh, anyway thanks as always we'll see you back here next friday night